You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. Luke's Jesus here does not rebuke Mary for taking up space that was most often reserved only for men. He instead praises her. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 427. Our title this week is Jesus, Politics, and the Rights of Cis Women, Trans People, and Non-Binary Folk. And our reading is from the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke 10, 38-42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This story is is only found in Luke's version of the Jesus story, but its inclusion suggests possibly some of the struggles that the early Jesus movement might have been facing, and I also think there's something in it for us today. This story challenged the the gender assumptions and gender roles for women in certain first century cultures. It contrasts the the domestic role of of hostess with that of the the rabbi or, or teacher. And what we miss, being so far removed from the culture in which this story was was created is that according to Luke, the early Jesus movement opened the role and authority of being a teacher to women. And I, I, I want to be very clear, I don't disparage Martha's labor here in this story. Her role in, in this story was in her culture and, and conditioning. It was the best way she knew to express her devotion to Jesus. Within first century Jewish culture, hospitality was, was deeply important, and it involved uh, uh, food preparation for guests and then was generally required of the women of the house. Martha was doing the best she knew to do in relation to Jesus' presence as a guest in her home. We can affirm Martha's actions in her own cultural context while at the same time critiquing similar cultural assumptions about women too. In this story, Mary is the transgressor. And what I mean by this is that Mary chooses to transgress patriarchal, gender binary, gender role assumptions. And this story also lauds her as having done a good thing. And this is a heavy critique on gender exclusivity. Let's unpack Mary's actions a bit more. The following comes from the IVP New Testament background commentary. On page 218, we read, People normally sat on chairs or at banquets, they reclined on couches. But decided 
disciples sat at the feet of their teachers. Serious disciples were preparing to be teachers, a role not permitted to women. The one notable exception in the second century was a learned rabbi's daughter who had married another learned rabbi, but most rabbis rejected her opinions. Mary's posture and eagerness to absorb Jesus' teaching, uh, and remember she sat at Jesus' feet, at the expense of the more traditional womanly role would have shocked most Jewish men. And again, that's page 218 of the IVP New Testament background commentary. Rabbis were typically men, and, and so those sitting at the feet of other rabbis hoping to learn and one day become rabbis themselves were also men. In the patriarchal cultural expectations of the time, Mary was supposed to be either at the back of the room standing if she wanted to hear Jesus' teaching, or not in the room at all, but helping Martha in the kitchen. And these gender assumptions are being challenged by this week's story. Women are equals here. In the Jesus movement and in this story, the role and authority of, of teacher is open to women just as much as it is to men. And this is a strong message, and, and it should be weighed carefully by especially all Christian communities and institutions that relegate women in ministry to some other designation than those that are open uh, to men. This story may even have been written in response to, to other statements in the early writings of the Jesus movement that we now call the New Testament. The New Testament is not monolithic, and we must ask ourselves which statements about women in the New Testament are life-giving and which are harmful. And We have a choice to make when we find a conflict in our sacred text. Not only should we lean into passages that are, are the most life-giving for all, but we and remember, we should embrace life-giving interpretations, but we should also push back against passages and interpretations that are not life-giving. Luke's Jesus here does not rebuke Mary for taking up space that was most often reserved only for men. He instead praises her. And, and I also want to offer a side note about the, the political purpose of using the title uh, Lord for Jesus in, in the Gospel of Luke. Over the past few weeks of lectionary readings, we have bumped into this title of Lord for, for Jesus repeatedly. And given the, the U.S.'s history of people enslaving others, I need, I need to address this. In first century Rome, Lord was the title reserved for Caesar. So, to refer to Jesus as Lord wasn't as much religious as it was political. In Luke especially, from the pre-birth infancy narratives through the stories of his adulthood, Jesus is over and over again contrasted with the Roman Caesar. When people called Jesus Lord in Luke, it meant that they subscribed to Jesus' teaching that society should be organized otherwise than it was shaped and organized under Rome and Caesar. And this is one reason why the early gospels so appealed to marginalized and vulnerable people that were pushed to the edges and undersides of Roman society. The concept of Jesus's lordship, it may have begun as a critique of how Jews were treated under the Roman Empire, and we can find that in both Mark and in Matthew. But by the time we get to Luke's gospel, it includes Gentiles who were oppressed and exploited under Rome as well.
And this calls into question a claim making the rounds again on social media right now. And it's it's the false claim that Jesus didn't use politics. Uh, we have to remember for a few things. First, Jesus wasn't living in a democracy, but an authoritarian empire. Second, Jesus didn't even belong to the privileged class of citizens of the Roman Empire. Howard Thurman comments on this in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, page 33. He writes, Jesus was not a Roman citizen. He was not protected by the normal guarantees of citizenship, that quiet sense of security which comes from knowing that you belong and the general climate of confidence which it inspires. If a Roman soldier pushed Jesus into a ditch, he could not appeal to Caesar, like Paul did, remember. He would just be another Jew in the ditch. Unless one actually lives day by day without a sense of security, one cannot understand what world separated Jesus from Paul. Paul at this point. So by contrast, Paul did use his political privilege to appeal to Caesar when he was imprisoned. But and third, Jesus was deeply political in ways that were available to people living in his social location. What can one do living in an authoritarian society where you are devalued by the state as an outsider? Well, well plenty and, and also different things than we might do today. And this is a new thought for you, I want to recommend Ched Meyer's book, Binding the Strongman, a political reading of Mark's story of Jesus. Today, we live in a different time and circumstance. And though we can learn from the Jesus story and allow it to speak into and form, inform our uh, justice work today, the political context and the tools that we have at our disposal are not the same as Jesus had at his disposal. And lastly, a word about politics. Politics are about people the polis and 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 it's about our larger society and it's about our smaller local communities as well it's about what kind of society we want to live in as a jesus follower i want to live in a society where people matter people do matter and therefore politics matters and we can we 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 also we can't escape the reality reality that that all theology is political as well when it comes to matters of murder and theft uh uh, 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 specifically against privileged folks. Uh, Christians have no problem with the state intervening in those matters. But it would, when it comes to a, a more distributively just society or or protecting the rights of, of people who are, are marginalized or devalued, all of a sudden, certain privileged Christians cry out, we're followers of Jesus and we shouldn't use the state. We should be instead about transforming people's hearts and minds. And I can't tell you how tired I am of this lack of logic. And I'm sure those with less privileged social locations are, are even more so. But reaching people's hearts and minds and working to change the state, they're not mutually exclusive. We, we don't have to choose between changing people's hearts and minds or legislating laws, policies, and, and rights that the state has to recognize in people. And we can. And, and I'd argue we must, we have to be about both approaches if we genuinely care about people who are being harmed within systems of injustice. And I'm reminded of the words of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. at UCLA on April 27th, 1965. And 
I'll put a YouTube link uh, uh, to uh, the article this week uh, on this speech, but you can hear the following quotation around 3333. He, uh, he states, It may be true that you can't legislate integration, but you can legislate desegregation. It may be true that morality cannot be legislated, but behavior can be regulated. It may be true that the law cannot change the heart, but it can restrain the heart less. It may be true that the law can't make a man love me, but it can restrain him from lynching me. And I think that's pretty important also. So while the law may not change the hearts of men, it does change the habits of men. And when you change the habits of men, pretty soon the attitudes and the hearts will be changed. And so there is a need for strong legislation constantly to grapple with with the problems we face. So legislation protecting people from from being hurt by others, that plays a strong role in shaping the hearts and minds of future generations as well. Adults a generation from now will value those different from them according to the way their society's laws socialize them to. And, And Jesus was political in ways that were available to him, remember. The various versions of the Jesus story in each canonical gospel, they're political as well. And this week, we looked at the politics of gender equality. Right now, the bodily autonomy and the privacy rights of of cis women, trans people, and non-binary folk are under attack again in our society. What is a Jesus who teaches gender equality saying to you this week? Heart Group application number one, share something that spoke to you from this week's eSight or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, what does a Jesus who teaches gender equality say to you in our present political climate in the U.S.? Discuss that with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone? Thanks for checking in with us today, right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action and working toward justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.